Welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined today by our friend and returning co-host, who can only come out at night, Carmelita Valdez McCoy. Hello! Hey, welcome back, man. It's been too long. Oh, thanks for having me back. This is like my favorite place to be. (laughs) Well, right on. Okay, guys. So if you're joining us, hopefully you have been enjoying our uh, October horror movie mega marathon, our descent into the abyss of the horror genre, a horror movie every day this month. Uh, Carmelita is coming in because Alex is debating if we're friends or not anymore after all this work I put on his plate. (laughs) He loves you. (laughs) He does love me and I love him too. But uh, yeah, so Carmelita came in today as our special guest host. As always, please take a second, leave us a rating and review wherever you find it. You can follow our YouTube channel and see our faces as well as hear our voices on the Nerd Alchemist. That's our YouTube channel. Uh, you can also email the show, Film Alchemist Pod, with movies you'd like to cover, themes, more guest hosts like Carmelita, new stuff, old stuff, whatever you want to hear about, hit us up. And we're on all the socials, just like you, man. Share us around. Invite your friends. Uh, all right, enough of that business. Carmelita, you came today. I just said a horror movie. Uh, would you like okay. to introduce what you chose and uh, what you love about it? I would love to. So, this movie does not is not set around Halloween, but I kind of <laughs> think of it as like the promise of winter. It's like the end of October is coming, Halloween's coming, and then you know it's going to be winter time. It's dark. It's mystical. I love it. So we are talking about Thirty Days of Night. Released mm-hmm. in 2007, Once Upon That's a right. Time. Yeah, directed by David Slade, uh, mm-hmm. who I adore. I think his only other movie we've covered is Hard Candy, but he obviously uh, he uh, went on to do Hannibal, a lot of other yep. cool stuff. Uh, David Slade really no- – wait, did we do more David Slade? I think we might have. Uh, you can check our letterbox list, Phil Malcolm Spot. Ha-ha, <laughs> another plug. Uh, what I love about David Slade, right, is his his visual palette is just breathtaking. This might yes. be my favorite of his visual movies. I know the Hannibal fans will come after me for that. <laughs> but so this movie was one of the first movies I saw when I had moved to Los Angeles, right? So I came from Indiana, a place where we had winters. And I moved to Los Angeles where there are none. And so it was in October, right? And I walked down to the Chinese Theater, which is like three blocks from my apartment at the time. I walk down, I'm all sweaty, right? You get the soda, you get the popcorn. I went into the theater, and the Chinese theater is this fucking massive, empty, cavernous space. This was before the IMAX renovation and all that. And it was fucking huge. And it felt like they had intentionally cranked the AC (laughs) to the coldest they could possibly make it in that theater. So I'm sitting in there in shorts and a tank top, (laughs) just dying when I watched it. But it really added a lot to the experience because I felt like I was also fighting for my life to survive. Yeah, in the Arctic, Arctic vibes. Yeah, and that's the thing is that I think what David Slade captures both in, you know, just the environment, right? The cold, but also this guy. It's a very, I think it's a very cold and distant movie, right? Like there's no warm spot in this film, right? 
Right. Like maybe a brother relationship, but there is very little uh, place to escape the just biting cold of this film. And so that's always burned in my mind that way. Uh, What about this movie, Carmelita, works so well for you? Why was this the one that leapt to the top of your mind uh, when we were discussing horror movies to talk about? You know, so when I saw this film in the movie theater in 2007, I was hungry. I had a hunger for a good vampire (laughs) film. Yeah. I felt like it had been a while. There was a lag in really well-executed vampire films. And I love vampire films. We've talked vampires before. And it was, I loved his approach visually. I Mm -hmm. loved, loved, loved the vampires in this film. Yeah. Okay, so let me, oh, let me ask so you about this because I I also love the vampire suit, but they're really different. Yes. Than a lot of vampires. I feel like maybe we've seen a little more of this of late, but the vampires in this one struck me as very strange, right? Uh, they're kind of getting back to that Nosferatu style, right? They're not mm-hmm. attractive per se. There's very little sensuality. There's almost no mysticism about them, right? Uh, what about the vampires does it for you in this movie particularly? So what really drew me to the vampires in this film is that they're this great blend of the different types of vampires right. that we've seen across <laughs> different films and franchises and properties. They're well-dressed. They have some culture to them. They're ugly as sin. <laughs> right. Well, I was and like, is dirty. the first thing they uh, the disease does is it like adds an extra three inches in the middle of your face? Like, yeah. They all yeah. have this like big weird forehead. asymmetry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For sure. Big foreheads. They're all right. filthy, dirty. They're very animalistic. They have this like yes bestial quality to them. They hunt in those circle in those circles. They like circle up and attack like a pack. They have all these like guttural screams and roars and grunts and and they have their their language, their own language that we don't yes. understand. And it's a very like harsh sounding language. There's nothing yeah. soothing, sexual. No. There's nothing smooth about <laughs> them. They're all rough around the edges. But then they're also dressed really nicely. And then yeah. But the head vampire, played by Danny Houston, Marlo, is like their philosopher king. And like <laughs> <Yeah>. through <laughs> Marlo baffled me a lot because oh, again, I love it. I, he is amazing and instantly memorable once yes. you finish the film, right? But I'm with you. I had so many I was just baffled by the vampires. Yeah. But in a good way, I guess, right? Because to me it is. It's they almost have like that Velociraptor scene in Jurassic Park where they're mm. arr, 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 arr. they're making like these squeals and the vampire language is amazing, right? But it is this strange mix, right? So they're kind of played almost like a xenomorph, right? These alpha mm-hmm. predators on Earth. But then it is, it gets into the like when he plays the record with his fingernail, right? Probably one of the more iconic moments. And then he unleashes the scream, right? It's time to slaughter. And they're flying around. They're jumping all over the place. It's it's fucking terrifying, right? But the blend of... I guess that was my question. I'm like, where do these vampires exist outside of this 30 days? Because I was like, presumably they got there by giant ship, right? 
I'm assuming that ship, Ben Foster piloted that, maybe killed the crew, something like that. And he got out before he came to town, right? And they were all in there, I'm guessing. But I was like, where do these people exist, right? They, We see that they do speak some English. Right. Right? Because the little girl I who, you know, does the, I'm done playing with this mm-hmm. one. I was like, so they hint at that she was brought by the vampires. Yeah. But she speaks pretty good English. So, I, But I thought that was cool, too, because then you're like, oh, was she like a new acquisition? It leads to this question of, oh, did they feel bad for a little one? You know, so there's just a lot of weird. Yeah, because where, where do you think these vampires live when they're not hunting in the night? I don't know. <laughs> you know, so the I haven't read the graphic novels. I haven't read the comics. One of these days I'll yes. get around to it. I do have a lot of them and have read them, and I still don't know the answer I still to this, don't know. I feel like. Okay, well, that's good. No, I'm glad to hear it, because yeah. one of the reasons why I've hesitated to jump in is that I kind of like that I can come up with my own theory about where they come yeah. from. You're a theory man. I'm a theory get, man. I love yeah. theories, yeah. <laughs> so I like the idea of trying to figure out, like, where did these, like, where do they come from? Where have they yes. been hiding out? And there's... There's one part in the film where he's um, where the head vampire is talking to the pack and he's telling them, you know, we've worked for centuries to get them to forget. Yeah. So it, it, it has me thinking that some of these vampires are probably very old. Right. And then probably along the way, they get new members of the pack that they yeah. turn like the little girl. Which I I had forgotten about this, and I noticed it on this last viewing. If you look, the little girl has tattoos on her arm. What? Yes. The little girl who's eating yes! the general store. Yes! Okay. And so, like that was like that's like the first clue. Like this little girl doesn't belong in this town. Also, by the way, she's dressed. No one who lives in in Barrow and is yeah. used to their winters is going to be dressed in a little frock. It's kind of a little house on the prairie thing, yeah. Yeah. A little sound of music <laughs> No one's wearing that in the dead of winter in the Arctic Circle. But so I kind of think they've probably come, maybe they're like wandering nomadic tribes of vampires, mm-hmm. make their way across the centuries. They lose some, yeah. they gain some. I'm guessing Marlo is like one of the oldest ones, I'm going to assume, because he's the leader. Right. And, you know, so he has limited English speaking, but some of the newer acquisitions, you know, I I would guess that it's like this kind of roving band looking for new places to feed. Well, there's some weird, like, context evidence in the film, right, too, about it lets me think that these are not. I mean, obviously, they have access to, like, something akin to a Hot Topic or something like that. Or maybe that's what their human guys are. Ben Foster, like, walks (laughs) in with his bad teeth, and he's like, give me a whiskey and six pairs of black skinny jeans. Yeah, we have to talk about that guy. Yeah, so whatever, you know, maybe that's what the servants are for. Because then you're like, well, where the hell did Ben Foster just cross paths with these people? (laughs) Right? So, because to me, it felt like they were outside of society, right? So you start wondering, it's like, can they even survive without some human blood? How much? Things like that. Because like something, for example, of they're, they're hunting, right? So they're these alpha or apex predators, right? These top of the food chain kind of predators. And I like that mentality. Them t- I think, I think Marlo has that line, right? Uh, when his friend is burnt, 
right? That lady's burnt by the yes. UV light, the, the weed light. And he's like, what can be broken must be broken, right? And it felt like this very survival of the fittest, right? These are kind of evolution vampires, right? Yeah. This isn't some old, you know, mystical curse. This is we are just a better offshoot that's coming to replace you, which I, I thought that was really cool. But then you're like, there are moments where you're like, okay, but they don't know to, hey, let's just go hide inside of the only place that has food. And they'll have to come to us, right? Because I think that's one of the weird, they're, they're showing us that they're apex predators, but then to believe that those people survive for 30 days, right? When yeah. we see them using a flashlight. So you start wondering, like, what are their super senses, right? And then when yeah. Hartnett turns, all he really says, he's like, I can smell your blood. She's so like, all right, it's believable. This is a big spread out area, you know, whiteouts and this and that. But so so there's obviously a bit of cluelessness, right? Well, this is they what knew... I think. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I'd like to hear your thoughts. This is what I think, which is part of what I love about them, if this is true. And I like mm -hmm. to think that it is. They like to play with their food. I think that's part of yes, the thing about true. these vampires is that they are these very – they are these apex predators. They are very animalistic, but they also have this human. Um, they're clever. They're shrewd. And they're kind of sadistic. And yes. I think they kind of get off on stretching <laughs> it out as long as yeah. possible. Cause with their super, yeah. with their super strength, with the conditions they could have wiped everyone out in a week. Oh, well, it's like you guys don't sleep, right? If there's right. no sun. So just yeah. do your super speed through all the buildings. Yeah. If they wanted to, they could have wiped everyone out in a week. I right. think they wanted to there's draw it out. There's a lot of crawling on roofs waiting, right? Yes. They wanted to draw it out. Yeah. They want to play cat well, and mouse. And that's interesting, too, because imagine a life where you are constantly on, you have 12 hours maximum. To go out, hunt, do your thing, and enjoy, and then you got to be back in your grave dirt mm -hmm. box, right? Like you got to get back in there, the dirt of the homeland, or whatever their version of that would be. Um, I haven't read those comics in so long; I don't even remember the setup. But right, so there is probably a freedom to this, right? Whereas yeah. we see it as you see the humans are like, we got to leave. There's no sun. This is now open to them, so that that does make sense in a way that they're taking their time, and we don't see anything. Maybe that's like one of the scenes we could have had in the film is what are they doing between kills, right? Yeah. Establishing out a little bit of what their hierarchy and social, you know, me mechanisms are, right? Are they having, like, every time they get some bodies, are they taking them out a couple at a time and doing blood orgies? Do they do, do they just hang out and listen to record players? Do they, are they watching TV? Yeah. <laughs> They're like, what is all this stuff? What do they do all day? <laughs> yeah, so we don't know. Are they going back to that ship, whatever's there? So we don't get any of that. So I think that's one of the things that, when you watch the film, it's people say like, "Oh, well, they couldn't do this," and it's. But I think your your point is an interesting one, because we see the range too of the difference in vampires, right? Yes. So there are a couple, right? Like uh, the bald headed guy mm -hmm. and the girlfriend, right? The vampire vampiric girlfriend feel like chained dogs. Like they're always yanking on the leash. They're ready to kill now, now, now. And we see that when they are sent to attack, it's just a murder. Yeah. Whereas. Uh, we see Danny Houston's Marlowe uh, in the apartment, right? This is one of my favorite scenes when they're in the apartment and the guy shoots him and he kind of looks at him. And then he walks up and holds him up and almost like taking him in, right? There's a yeah. lot of great scenes of him just staring at us 
like we're scum, but he can't. He's fascinated, like the same yeah. way you might look at a spider in the corner of your room. And then he stabs him with the the poker, right? And then he walks over and plays the the you know record. So there is that's that's the guy who's possibly been around so long that where do you get your kicks, right? Yeah, you know what what does it? Because that's the thing. There's no. There can't be that much joy in them just running in and slaughtering this town. Yeah, boring. Yeah, because like if you just want to eat, go eat. But there's a little bit more. Um. So yeah, in that in that vein too, I was gonna ask you about Ben Foster's character, right? Uh, probably my favorite part of the film still <laughs> to this day, because he is great. Yeah. Right. He is just a wild fucking guy. I can tell you from experience, I was at an after hours bar with him. And it is intense. He is a wild fucking guy, right? Like, just that energy he exudes. Yeah. Right? He has not been in Becca. That was his true acting. This is probably closer to how you experience him in nature. Um, <laughs> but, I had like, why Why have the human, the human uh, forerunner? Because, like, the one scene that struck me was the dog killing, right? Which I, I am uh. anti-dog killings in movies. I hate the dog killing. But I was like, when I saw these vampires, I'm like, they're flipping fucking trucks and whatever. Like, what threat do those dogs pose? Because <laughs> when Ben Foster kills him, you're like, night is already settling. Like, you've won. You're here. Right? There's sled There's dogs. No... <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I was like, break the sleds. Leave the They're <laughs> sled dogs. They're the way out. They're the way out of That's town. That's true. Okay. Because, yeah. yeah, I was like, why? Because they also meant, they do mention that they got a helicopter mm -hmm. and some other things like that. Okay. But I was just like, yeah, those dogs are no threat. It doesn't matter if they start barking. That's just the dinner bell. Yeah. Somebody called Doc Dick. <laughs> I'm not I, okay with this. <laughs> by the way, John Vick, John, John Vick, as they all call him, John Vick in uh, 30 Days a Night sequel would just be the best. So good. At this point, he's already killed so many humans. There's nothing left for John Vick to do. Right? Fighting do 30 it. Days of Night vampires. Now we're talking. <laughs> with those sled dogs is like his pack. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, mean, I yeah the john forrester's character ben forrester i'm sorry the stranger he was one of the things that really stuck out to me i remember the first time i saw this like who the fuck is this guy yeah he's just so creepy and the meth mouth thing happening and mm -hmm. he's just so unsettling and i but to your point about why would the vampires even need this dude like, I wonder if, if it's not more of that. He kind of gets off Marlo, these vampires. They kind of get off on manipulating humans. Yeah. Why uh, Why Dane yeah. to do all well, this he's setup? So, he's so strange in the film. Like, he meet, in a place where there aren't strangers, he's even the strangest stranger, yes. right? Uh, and that's – but he just feels so out of place, right? Like, he, he clearly is kind of a, a parallel to Renfield, right? Yes. But in Re Dracula, Renfield's like, hey, you're the carriage boy. Shuttle my stuff around and stuff like that, right? And he becomes a little depraved, obviously, from yeah. being near this. But in this one, it felt like these vampires are so much more powerful than a lot of vampires we've seen. Yeah. But, yeah, there. I think that's one of my favorite scenes still, though, right? Is, you know, because he plays this insane, crazy person. And then there's that moment, right, when we come back and Grandma's just a stain on the wall. And uh, the stranger just has this tear. And so Ben Foster's just acting it up, right? He has this tear coming down his mm -hmm. eye. And he's just like, they didn't take me. You know? And he's like, please kill me. Put me out of my misery. And it's such a... Because, again, I, I feel like one of the issues that some people may have with this movie... I don't think it really affected me. But 
it is so impersonal and dehumanized, right? Even the humans who would live in a place like this feel, you know, again, they probably live up there for isolation and peace and, you know, I want to be on my own kind of thing. Yeah. Although they're all pulled together, I guess, by having to survive that environment. But yeah, so it feels like it doesn't have a lot of these personal personal moments. But I think that is is an interesting choice for this movie because when they do hit, it's it's a real extra smack when you're like, oh my God. Like the crazy guy, right, who is about to kill this kid over a risk piece or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he's truly sad and disappointed. You know, he truly had his hopes set on joining these people, right? And there's a moment because Houston comes in, Marlo, and he does the like he he rubs his finger down his face and in the yes. you know vampiric language, he's like, "You did everything I asked for." You know, you're a good boy essentially. In the moment though, where I was like, "That is next level acting," is Ben Foster as he starts to kind of cry. He puts his head forward, trying to have some kind of a touch, right, a personal connection. And Marlo just kind of very craftily dodges it. Like, it's nothing. Just like, you know, like, he's, yeah. it's impossible for us to touch him before he rips his fucking head off, right? And I think his line is uh, something about, you know, the things they can believe. Like, he's yes. stunned that this fucking person thinks that he could ascend to being what they are. So that, it's really kind of a fascinating emotional beat right in the middle of the film. It's yeah. probably my favorite scene still. Oh, I love it. You know, the other one that really struck me, like I, on this viewing, I had forgotten how hard the scene hits is when Bo, the Grizzly Adams, like (laughs) mountain man type, when that guy goes out, tries to go out in a blaze of glory Mm -hmm. and he's going to be the big hero. And when he, when he sees that the shotgun is out, he's, done for he doesn't want to be eaten so he he strikes the flares the building goes up in the explosion and he's blown free and lives (laughs) i love it i love very briefly (laughs) because you have this moment you can see on his face as he's preparing to take himself out that he's scared but that he's also like triumphant like, they're not going to mm-hmm. get me. Right. Well, that was Wrong such for- a weird moment in interesting acting choices. Because I was like, what was – you're tearing these things up, right? Because it was a fun thing, too. Because I was like, this movie doesn't get into this, you know, because we hear characters like, if you shoot them, they can't stop. And, you know, uh, Bo, that character, Mark Boone, I think his name is, the actor. And he's like, uh, you know, this isn't a Bella Lugosi movie at one point. And we see in this, right, that it's not that mystical. He does blow one of their heads clean off. Yes. Another one gets ripped up by the trencher. And you're like, I think those are dead vampires. Like, he's doing it. Yeah. I was like, why run into the building? I know. Why? I was like, if you can trench through the building. Because I thought thought what they were bringing back was he was going to use the flare to ignite the leaky oil Mm. that he got a ticket for. And when they did Uh. it, I was like, why did he stop? Like, you had it. You had it. He could have just gone on. You could have done like a Fury Road for another couple minutes, right? And so I was really sad to see him go. But again, this is one of those. I don't think they all pay off a lot, right? Because I, I think what this movie does is it sets a lot of the cast is set up as prey, right? Yeah. We see them and we find out why they're in town, but they don't really matter much past body count, right? 
but he has one of the cooler little moments. I really like when they set it up earlier because when he gets the ticket and Billy's like, why did you write him that ticket? And it's like, well, he lives on the outskirts. And every so often I'll cite him. And we, you know, we know he doesn't pay him. He says as much. It lets him know that he's a part of this. And to watch his arc, he comes back into town, right? Yeah. And then when he wants to leave the attic, he stays because he sees that he can be helpful to them. And when he says, before he runs out, he even says, like, it's my turn now. And I was like, that's a really good arc yeah. for essentially the, you know, gruff outsider with the heart of gold. You know, and they, but that's what I mean. They're, they're few and far between, but when they hit and they really fucking hit, it works super well in this film. Yeah. And you, and you can feel it. I like, so we haven't talked about Eben, the sheriff. We haven't talked about Jeff, Josh Hartnett. Yes. He has some great moments. Some of those emotional moments, Mm -hmm. like when, when they get the signal that Billy across the road is in the house and he goes to the house and he sees that Billy has dispatched his family in an act of mercy. And Josh Hartnett as Eben like breaks down and he's like, he's already kind of a brooding character, but pretty even keel. But like in that moment he breaks down and he kind of, he kind of brings his body forward. Yeah. And it, you can't tell if he wants to hug his friend or if he wants to yeah, man. strangle him or what. But you can yeah. tell he's just falling apart and he's so upset mm-hmm. that his that his his buddy has murdered his family. Yeah, and probably people that he has known forever. He's probably yes. watched those girls grow up. But yeah, that's the cool because Billy reaches for him and he does the Marlowe thing where he's mm-hmm. like kind of dodging he's like i want to strangle you to the death but i'm glad you're here but see what really makes that one work well because that's another one of those you're like how did the vampires not find this guy's flashing lights and he's just sitting there weeping i'm assuming this is like 20 days in yeah like when did he shoot this family how long has he been here but that come but this is what this is a great use of the scene before right which is the old uh the old guy who worked at the the giant factory or whatnot right so he reveals that he got bitten. And because of that, he he now doesn't have enough time. He lets the ruse go, right? That his wife and kids were killed by a drunk driver. And he kept those pictures up, and everyone in the town believed this lie that his family would join him someday. And he just kept that lie up because why not? That's better than the alternative, right? Admitting that they're gone. So he does that. And his line is, "I you cannot let me live forever, which is such a great vampire insight right Mm -hmm. which is for him he doesn't want to keep living this life forever where his wife and kids will not join him right and so he asked evan he's like please don't let that happen and evan's like all right i'll handle it because you know he's the guy who has to do it he doesn't want her to do it he doesn't want his brother to do it no one else seems capable of doing it at that point and so he goes in and we just hear that thunk yeah and when he comes out this is one of the better sequences in the movie right when he comes out of that office with the axe Everyone in that room looks at him the same way they would if Marlo was walking through the room with fear. You're not one of us anymore. You've crossed over into something dangerous and scary, right? So you take that of he just heard this man admit that he lost his family, how sad he is, and he had to kill that guy. And then possibly we start seeing that maybe Evan wanted a family and this is why they're separated, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe there's some of that. And then he goes in and sees the man who had it all, right? The guy who was 
just judging her, right? Like, oh, when you uh, don't go to Anchorage, you can tell me why you and Evan are so fucked up, right? Perfect family man, right? The wife, the kids. He fucking destroyed that, you know? While they've been fighting for 20 days, he just destroyed it that fast and gave it up. So that that is one of those really great sequences because I think that's that's what I think this movie does better than people give it credit for is that it does find those moments, right? Like a great example of what I'm talking about is at the end of the movie, right? This is probably a scene that has bothered me since I saw it. Cause I saw it a couple times when it first came out to DVD as well, but it had been a long time and I forgot not exactly how it played out, but I knew at the end that he became a vampire, right? Mm -hmm. And him injecting himself and all that is like, that's cool, man. I like that. But then it's not a great, ending for this movie i think right where he goes and faces down with marlo right who calls him the one who fights that's pretty cool but i was like so he's just turning he's in the pains of his body morphing marlo has been the leader of this predatory vampire pack for centuries right the thought that this guy could beat marlo in a fight to take over the pack and then that all the other vampires are like we also don't want a piece right because if they kill hartnett they'll be the leader of the pack right it felt like one of those, like, oh, well, we got to punch the monster and end the movie. It's over, right? The 30 days are over. So when I watched it the first time, I was like, that sucks. Like, that's not, you can't beat that guy in a fight. It's not enough. When I watched it today, I was kind of struck by the dueling journeys of Marlo and Evan, right? Whereas I think what you should focus on in that scene, right? Because that's going to be a hard movie to end anyways, right? Right. So what? The sun comes up and the vampires just run away. Or the vampires get in bloodlust and they forget and they burn up, Right. Like, what is the satisfying ending of this useless slaughter of so many humans? There's probably not one, right? And even at the end, the vampires all get away, and they're coming back for another town next time, right? Oh, for sure. Maybe there's a sequel universe where the next town will be ready with UV lights and <laughs> Well, there are whatever. sequels. Are there really? There are sequels. I haven't seen them. I didn't know there was even sequels. There <laughs> I'm are. assuming they're awesome since I've never heard of them. I Yeah, but, uh, but this, video. That's the Yeah, right? <laughs> but I'm yeah, assuming they don't address this, right? But- but the humanity of that moment, right, really struck me with Evan's choice because he's choosing to leave his brother behind, right? He's choosing this woman who didn't choose him, essentially, right? He's going out on his shield. He's like, I'm going to go out as this guy, right? That no matter what, I won't do what my friend did, Billy, right? I'm going to try to fight and give them a chance, you know, so that they can warn. So it it's this very human moment to give up all of that for someone who gave you up already. So while the fighting and punching isn't exactly ideal storytelling, I would say that decision is fascinating, right? And also Marlo slow playing him. I don't know what you felt, but it felt slightly like Marlo was tired. He gave me an Agent Smith vibe in this one, if I'm being honest. Because mm. he even calls uh, Mark Boone's character right before he smashes his head awesome effect by the way he says what a plague you are right yes. that when you're confronted with things you can't destroy you destroy yourself was that not what marlo did right was marlo did he actually get beaten or was that marlo somewhat giving up Ooh, that's a good point right because i think marlo would have just taken him apart so fast oh yeah he could have like how did Easily. he lose that fight unless maybe a part of him he's like i have to go back to the ship yeah. You know, who knows how long until these happen. We didn't really learn, like, how often this happens. Once a year, probably, something like that. Maybe he's just 
over it. He's like, this was the best month of my life. I'm, I lost my girlfriend. I'm done. Like I'm going out on a high. Yeah. I mean that, so it struck me, those two dueling things struck me, right? Is that Evans and him both in different ways meet at the point of we're both kind of giving up on this thing, right? For different reasons. I don't know. I, I thought, I thought the subtextual stuff was a lot more interesting than just the monster punching that I remember. Yeah. Yeah, no, there is I think there's a lot you can read into their arc across the film and that climax. I think there's a lot of different ways to look at it. I think another way to I like I like what you got out of it this time. I think there's also there's another read that's possible that kind of <laughs> kind of like Game of Thrones like uh, one of those trial by combat where someone's yeah. being real arrogant. And, you know, I, I almost wonder if Marlo, you know, he sees this guy who's freshly turned, so not very strong, mm-hmm. not much of a fighter, honestly. You know, and they've they've spent this whole month kind of playing with their food. And he calls him the one who fights. And I wonder if maybe there's not a little bit of arrogance. Maybe if there's not a little bit of, I want to see how this plays out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I he, see he, what they, he, can he do. wins on like a sucker punch through the head. Again, awesome. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I actually, a little bit too, the name, the one who fights, it kind of struck me as that maybe Marlo's like, this guy can do it after me. Ooh, maybe I'm maybe. fucking tired of the fight, man. Maybe this is the guy who will fight in my stead. Because there's also this thing, too, that Marlo is definitely... Because you called him the Philosopher King. And it's kind of something I had forgotten how much he sits there and just is spouting this kind of, you know, existential manifesto, right? Where it's, you know, you guys are a plague. And we've had to make them believe that we're not real. And we can't let them, you know, shatter that illusion at this point. There, there's a part of that that says while he is this apex predator who despises us, right? There's a lot of times when he is just looking at us. Mm. And there, there, there's a bit of, you know, that for whom the bell tolls inevitability. Because how many of these towns exist, right? How many? Because the one lady's like, he can go to this town and this town. Let's say there's 20 towns before they hit a town where you're like, this town's big enough and close enough to something else. That if we tried this shit in that town, they're going to come back with 50 trenchers. You know what I mean? Yep. And there's just not enough. Also, Marlo's not wanting to turn them, right? It was an explicit instruction at the start. Make sure their heads are separated so as not to turn them. He's not building an army. He's not a king who thinks he's taking over, right? So I think I think these things, to me, this time around, I saw I saw a creature who had given up. What is the point of hitting this pinnacle to only be consumed by, you know, this just inevitable lesser being? Yeah. I don't know. No, I like it. I think there's something to that. (laughs) That having centuries of this existence and finally coming to this place where you've seen and done it all and you had this month-long buffet (laughs) and i mean what else is there yeah that's right well no but that oh man 
That was one of those things, too, that didn't pay off. That They had a couple of those where they didn't pay them off, right? Like the oil from the trencher. Mm. But one thing I thought they were going to do is that, uh, remember when Billy went out to change the population sign? Yeah. I was waiting for them because there was one point when they said, uh, there's no one left, right? There's no one left. There's no one left. I was like, I was waiting for him to, like, pull out the numbers. <laughs> there should be 157 <laughs> of them. And I was like, maybe that's his last thing to accomplish before he lets Evan punch his face open, right? Is that I have to get all 157, like Pokemon. He's got to collect them all. Wait, wait, it's tradition. Out. It's tradition. Yeah, it's tradition, right? Thank you for putting Because I thought he was going to be like, damn it, Billy. Why did you do that? Yeah, I know. Because there's a lot of weird. There's a lot of weird stuff in this movie that doesn't all the way add up to me. But I don't. I think maybe some of that messiness works a little bit, too. Because, like, you know, the whole brother who plays Risk, mm. the grandma who smokes pot, uh, there's the very strange scene when the girl comes back and Ben Foster's about to, you know, fight Evan, right? And you get the sense, like, he thinks he's going to whoop Evan's ass. Yeah. And she holds the gun to his head as Evan slams him on the counter. She does, like, the uh, OnlyFans lip bite. <laughs> we're like, she's super turned on. <laughs> so, like, there's all these little things where I'm like, I'm going to need a little more on that. And in a two-hour movie, they just didn't get back. Yeah, they're just yeah, they just didn't. Did bit did the stranger only want to become a vampire to skirt all these dental bills? I don't know. <laughs> well, his teeth would have been transformed, Josh. That's what I mean. He wouldn't have had to like yeah, because that that looks like a tear it down and rebuild operation, right? <laughs> but if you just get vampire shark teeth, it's all yeah. Good I don't. Hood. But that's what I mean. There's there's a lot of these little things because that I mean it's such a full movie. Yeah. And they don't really dive into it very fast. They take a really long time to start the vampire attack. Much longer than I realized. I but, looked at the time this this time around. So you yeah. have a few kills, but it's, you know, arms coming out of the shadows. Yeah. Silhouettes. We don't full on see a vampire in all its glory until almost 30 minutes in. Yeah, which feels like a lot because we see that the overall guy get eaten. You know, we see that when the guys are talking about where to have their threesome after their oil shift. Yeah. That scene's great because that guy just disappears so fast. That it sets it. like, oh, these are not the same vampires I'm used to, right? This is fucking crazy. But they do this cool thing, too, where I like when Evan finds, like, blood on the snow. Or we see the dogs, right? Something weird imagery mm -hmm. like the burnt cell phones, right? There's a lot of things happening that in a town where you know everyone and what are the chances that real crimes are committed there very often? Because there's only 50 people to question, right? right? Like if you fuck around, <laughs> it won't take long before they know who did it. Right. But those little weirdnesses watching Evan try to come to grips with this. What the fuck is happening? Right. And then when he comes flying back into town and he's like, get in your house, lock the doors. And he sees all these people just out at like the bus stop. And they're like, what's going on? He's, I don't know, right? And watching Evan go through this total lack of authority and lack of control. Yeah. It actually, the buildup worked really well for me. I think what's weird, this viewing too, I liked how long it took to get to the vampires. I'm surprised how long the vampire section took. Yeah. That's like another hour and a half movie in and of itself of just super vampires not killing these people very rapidly. Mm-hmm. You know? It's a lot longer than I thought in that segment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and 
and imagine how much longer like and they do those little time jumps you know because they yeah. go a week in and then you get some scenes and then it's like 18 days so they they do some time jumps but but yeah it's all kind of they just kind of lay it out over time yeah I and that's love, the thing you have to it. do it that way right because otherwise how would you get the the feeling because even as long as it was, you were like, oh, that feels like a week. Like It doesn't feel like they were running for 30 days. <laughs> like yeah. Josh Hartnett gets that really weird beard. That's like how we know that time is. <laughs> but yeah, I don't. I think that's what I will take away from it more this time. Right. Is I remembered a lot of the just fucking amazing effects moments. Right. Like the one that I had actually forgotten this one. I remember the muncher taking the vampire and spitting him up. Right. Mm hmm. But when Billy comes up with his arm ripped off and he goes from that sob and wail into the screeching of the vampire, when Evan puts that fucking axe in his chest and he has to hit him like three more times as you watch the head slowly roll, I was just, I couldn't breathe when I was watching this. I was like, oh my God. And then I was like, how fucked up is that that I have forgotten that? Like yeah. I saw that in a movie theater and I've seen that uh, movie like three <laughs> to five times. And I didn't remember that. Like, how insane is that? But yeah, that one baffled me. The swing was amazing. But what what's a scene, if you were to take away, what's a scene that we haven't gotten to yet that just really leaps out at you as a spectacular moment? Ooh, we talked about Bo's death. Mm -hmm. We talked about, you know, I, I love... I love when they set out the bait. Yes. Yeah. So, so the, the group is in the attic and they're, they're thinking about moving, but they haven't, they're waiting for a, for a blizzard and they're up there. And then they hear the screaming of this woman and she's yelling for help. And she's got her, like her little pink jacket and she's just so helpless and she's bloodied and she's, cradling her injured arm and i i love when evan looks through their little peephole Mm -hmm. you know and and the uh the other guy the one who who's been lying about his dead family when he says well we got you know we got to go out there and get her before they hear because he's thinking oh she's she's yelling and she's going to draw the vampires right and that's when Evan and and if you're looking carefully, because I'm one of those people like I'm kind of paranoid in real life, so I'm always kind of <laughs> like head on a swivel, looking at all the things in the background, like for movement. And you've you've seen the movement, but it isn't until Evan tells him, "Look at the rooftops," and then you see yeah. they're all crouched and waiting. Yeah. And I oh, I love it. I love it's so good. And then when they oh, jump so in on her and it's death by a thousand scratches, they're just yeah. like taking turns, fucking mutilating her. That is one of the, I, yeah, I love, there's a lot of great them crawling in the background. I think that gets to your point of there is like a, a play with your food nature to this. Like why rush, right? It's an opulent feast. Yeah. Why rush, right? We have 30 days. We never have that long. Um, I think that scene illustrates too. One of the things that really leapt out at me is just how, there's that line, right, where Evan's like, we live up here because we're the only ones who can, right? We know the cold and this and that. There is, there's kind of a bravado to us as people, right? Where it's like, the earth has designed this place that does not want us. Like, this place is not made for us. It does not want us there. But we're like, fuck you, we'll go there and we'll build 
these, you know, houses and generators and electric mm-hmm. plants. Like we live here. The ease with which the vampire pack is able to divorce us from all of those things that elevate us above nature so that then all these buildings that they keep running to, you have this helplessness of like, why run to any other building? Nothing's safe. It's all useless. So the people that go up there in search of this isolation and this, you know, we're tougher, blah, blah, blah. When they are actually cut off and they are actually as close to nature as they probably think they are in their mind for the first time. And all of those little things that make us able to do that are pulled away. It was just really mind blowing to me. Right. Yeah. Like those people. What if you get your wish? Right. Like they want to live up there and they feel like they're conquering nature. And it's like, all right, let's let's do it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and how fast they don't have those things. Right. How fast those people just get run through and all of our little comforts just evaporate i I found that very interesting this time right yeah absolutely when you know what 80 miles from the nearest town but you're like in that environment that could be like that might as well be 500 miles yeah i mean it's (laughs) it's freezing it's below freezing it's dark yeah it's bad news bears yeah right (laughs) i yeah i was struck by the nature of these people just being so so cut off and it, but that becomes a fun game too. Cause I like the idea of all these isolationists, like people that want their space at the end, they really have to form together. Right. So it's, it's almost letting you know that their original thoughts on themselves and where they live are bullshit. <laughs> yeah. They can't survive alone. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was a, that was something that was really well done in this. Um, Here's a question. Would you just let that old man fucking run out of the house? <laughs> that. <laughs> Every time I I watch this movie and I come back to this one pretty regularly every couple right. of years. <laughs> every time I am just beside myself. I get that you want your father to be safe. Mm-hmm. And I'm not advocating. Of course, I'm not advocating no. for killing off the the weaker members of the group. At the same time, you're not yet, but you're not under attack. Right. At the same time, this he's he has the dementia or Alzheimer's or whatever is impairing his ability to reason and participate in their defensible position. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sorry, you gotta let him go. Oh, well, I, I was like, if he was a good son, right? Instead, because that's the thing. He's like, well, I have to use the bathroom. And I was like, wait, where have they been going to the bathroom? Yeah. <laughs> you know, for over a week. <laughs> and then it's like, of course, the grandpa's going to run. I was like, if you're a good son, the moment he starts stirring in the house, you punch him as hard as you can in the face and just knock him out. Better a brain injury than like eaten. Right. right. And they, they tried to play this sad subtext of like, oh, well, you know, maybe Alzheimer's. It's not. You're like, that is sad and it's tragic and no one wants to watch their adult parent go through that but the alternative is is that he gets eaten and you get eaten right because i was struck by i was like that dude's last words were wandering through this snow right blinded by a blizzard just and he yells dad and then he's gone and he's fucking eaten too those are his last words is he is reduced to a crying boy looking for his father right 
and he's just gone man yeah just fucking snagged and my brain is like what a good guy like he went to get his dad but then another part of me is like you fucking deserve to get <laughs> i mean you kind of do i'm sorry i have no sympathy or chill for those people like you gots to go <laughs> these are extreme this is an extreme situation so i kind of feel like maybe you needed to go to extreme lengths to keep this man sedated or restrained. Right. Is that traumatic? Absolutely. <laughs> Under normal circumstances, would I condone that? Most definitely not. Yeah. There's a pack <laughs> of rabid vampires mm -hmm. eating the citizenry. Yes. I think dad can hang out with some restraints for a while. Yeah. Just... Make some exception. Cause that is, <laughs> it's one of the things the movie toys around with, right? Like when Evan shoots Ben Foster's character, when he's going to kill his brother and he's like, don't even call the doctor. He deserves it. And you're like, Oh man, like corrupt law dog. Right. He's now skirting the line. Cause he's seen something horrible. Right. Yeah. But then he, he, he doesn't finish him off. He looks like he wants to, but you know, his, his ex-wife or whatnot is like, Hey, don't do that. And he stops, he finds his line, right. His moral lines. But the whole movie, he's kind of tiptoeing back. I'm yeah. like, there's no more ethical lines, right? Like a lot of horror movies do that. It's like, this is exactly what we need to fight. Like I just read the book World War Z recently. Right? Uh -huh. And they talk about that when the zombies start barreling through, right? We build a wall at the Rocky Mountains and like we try to start America again on the West Coast. And uh, the newly elected guy is like, yeah, we have to hold elections. <laughs> And the guy is like the department of like the natural, you know, rebuilding effort or whatever. He's like, what are you, dude, we don't have his vice president's like, what elections? We're in the middle of a zombie, you know, <laughs> a zombie war. We got to rebuild society. And the guy goes, this is all we have. If we don't fight for this right now, right? If they don't know that even through this, the dream of what America stands for and democracy stands for, right? If that can't survive this, we're fighting for nothing. Like it's mm -hmm. over. Right. So you have to have an election to keep this ideal right. version of us alive. Right. And I feel like that's what a lot of horror movies do, where it's people like, well, this isn't right. I'm like the first time I see the streets filled, like when that overhead shot. Right. And you just see people getting eaten all over Main yes. Street. The next person who steps out of line, I am fucking murdering them. <laughs> no <laughs> questions asked. You know, it's like if you're not related to me by blood, I will murder you. <laughs> If you start fucking with my survivability and this, I think this might be different now because if horror movies happen in the real world, so many of us have shutter Netflix, all these things. We're watching so many horror movies. I think so many people in the real world would now be like, I know how this story ends and fucking murder grandpa. <laughs> I've seen how this plays out. No way. <laughs> it doesn't end well. It doesn't end. It well. doesn't end well. Uh, yeah, man. So, uh, what are your takes on the final image of the movie? Was that poetic for you? Did you like that? Hmm. I think I think it's beautifully shot. The whole movie is just it a is. visual smorgasbord. It's gorgeous. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that the color palette at that last shot, as you get the sunrise, we finally get some pinks and purples, and it's like mm. the world is coming back to life after they've had this month of death. Do I need it to end on this romantic note? <laughs> not, not necessarily. Uh, yeah. 
But I, <laughs> you know what I always, like, I always kind of wonder. So he's like, like, you're, he's burning. And she's like holding him. Mm-hmm. And the ash is flying. And yes, it's very sweet. It's a very loving, touching moment between two people. But I'm also wondering, like, how it feels to hold someone that's burning from the inside. Like, <laughs> <laughs> is he hot at all? Like, does it feel good because it's cold outside? Like, this, I don't know. <laughs> like it just, it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. So it's, it's one of those I can appreciate the sentiment. Yeah. I didn't necessarily need it, but I, I guess it makes sense. I thought it was a cool choice, if I'm being honest, because again, this movie feels very cold and distant a lot. So when the moments of humanity come, I like the book end of we start the movie with him saying goodbye to the sun, crying at all he's lost and how he's going to be alone in the dark for 30 days. And then at the end, he's sitting with her. He said, we'll watch the sunrise together. And they did it. True. And I felt like that was one of those cool moments. that was a fuck you to the vampires, right? That in that moment, right, from the walking to that part of town or probably driving, however they got there, right? They got somewhere to watch the sunrise. And in that moment, holding her and as his body's burning, I feel like he lived more in that stretch of time than any of those vampires had in all their centuries. So I thought it was an extra cool kind of book into this movie, right? Oh, that was good. He found something to fight for and live for, right? I like for, right? that. Yeah, and I think that is the opposite of Marlo, who is just like, eh, I'm over it, man. I did it. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was a cool... No, I like that. Because for this movie to have that ending felt really strange to me. But the more I sat with it, I was like, I love that idea, right? You know, it's almost as if, like, his life and humanity couldn't be contained in this rotting husk that he was now. I thought it was a kind of cool... End. It's a little saccharine, I guess, and I'm no, sure there know. are cynical people that'll say like it's shoehorned in because the movie spends no other time on emotion, which I would disagree with. But I th- I think it's a cool fuck you to the vampire. It's a it's a fuck you to the monsters. We just spent, you know, two hours hating. Yeah. You know, when you put it like that. It totally recontextualizes that moment. Yeah. That it's it's not so much about a romance between these two people, although that's part of it. Um, but yeah, that embracing of humanity and not letting that be taken from you. Yeah. And in that moment, I too, like that. right. Cause it felt like we were about to get the Terminator ending where it's like, get on the trencher. We're going to warn the next town and arm up. You know what I mean? <laughs> and to just, instead of doing that version, right. We know that there are vampires in this world. We know that, you know, something is going to come from this, right? Probably all these people are going to jail. Right, like they're gonna be like, you guys did all of it. She came back and got her husband and all of his friends. Yeah, like she's probably getting the death penalty. But you know, I thought it was cool, man. Slow it down. Show. I think a lot of horror movies don't do a great job of landing the why fight. Right, like I watch a lot of horror movies where I just go, you know what, man, fuck that. Like I'm not doing that. I'm not going through all this. Like I'll just sit and watch TV, and when they come for me fucking have me dude like yeah. <laughs> you know i'm not fighting to like yeah i'm not fighting like in walking dead i'm like i'm not fighting to rebuild society and not have food or clean clothes to wear like i lived with the internet and the glorious you know arts that we've created i'm not going back to a world without that like when they come 
take me, dude. I don't care, right? I'm just going to watch my DVDs until the end. <laughs> and so I feel like a lot of horror movies don't answer that question for me. The why fight, right? It's like that famous Wes Craven story. He said he was inspired as a kid when him and his friends maimed a rat. Mm. I think they threw it. They stomped on it or threw a brick on it or something. And it was all shattered and guts everywhere. And he said that thing was screaming. Because even that rat so desperately was clinging to life. It so desperately did not want to die. And I think a lot of us have that in our minds where it's like, oh, yeah, like, that's why. You know, because we just want to stay alive. I think this scene adds that little extra bit of, you know, but why stay alive? Right? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, I thought, I thought it was a good ending, man. Yeah. I, I was a big fan of that. I think, too, now that, you know, as you're as you're talking about this and I, I, I think about the juxtaposition of. Eben's last scene with his wife, Stella, and and the choice he makes mm -hmm. to not let them take his humanity from him, but also to spend this last moment with her knowing that she gets to go on. Mm -hmm. And to juxtapose that with his buddy, Billy. Yeah. Who had taken out his entire family mm -hmm. for, I mean reasons that i'm sure he felt were altruistic but regardless yeah. i mean i wouldn't want to watch my kids get eaten yeah for sure. of course <laughs> so he takes them out and then he's stuck suffering alone and he has no reason to live now that they're gone yeah or marlo's last line right to his mm -hmm. girl uh what can be broken should be broken and evan's like fuck that like i'm not letting you get broken right um you know i i thought that was cool i, I, like I was i was big into that moment i really was you're bringing uh, it right. i was like there is a part of me where I'm like, you could chain him up a bunch and see. I was like, maybe he survives as like a Blade-like character who can fight the vampires when they come out. <laughs> like, maybe don't immediately just rush to the sun, right? Give it like a week or something. <laughs> but then that's not as poetic. This is poetic. Sure. Evan goes out as a full-on hero because if they do the week later, then they start bickering again. They separate. And he's like, why did I become a vampire? <laughs> What is it all for? Yeah, so this is more Shakespearean than, you know, the yeah. real life, like, how do you do legal separation from a vampire? So, yeah. <laughs> all right, so Carmelita, sum this up, right? If you were to give your quick closing remarks uh, about why people should love this movie as much as you do and keep revisiting. If they haven't watched it in a while, why come back and spend time with this movie? I would say 30 Days of Night is a vampire story for the 21st century. It's very modern, but it also touches on all of these beautiful kind of eternal themes of survival and life and death and the nature of the predator and the prey. And it's just a really fun movie too. Super fun movie. <laughs> it's just a, it's a good time. It looks great, yeah. mm. and it's it's really interesting to kind of like we've been doing today in this discussion. They leave enough of it open mm -hmm. that you can imagine about this world and about these characters and about the vampires and and so it's it's a story that can continue to build for you. Every time I go back to it, I notice different little things that that jump out to me depending on where I'm at when I'm watching it and and I also get to 
to keep going back to thinking about like where did they come from and where do they yeah. go next and where did they get that fashionable yeah <laughs> so i would say it's it's a movie that's worth putting on it's a couple hours and you get to just be transported to this mm-hmm. this barren this this one little town in this barren wasteland and and just participate in this fight for survival it's just it's a good time. yeah and it's it's fun too because i think it does the thing that we we had really gotten away from in vampire movies right i think it became very chic to humanize the vampires more and more and more and because of that then this more sensual side of them starts erupting and it's this you know eternal love and this and that these kind of big ideas right i like that this one strips an enormous amount of the humanity from these vampires right they are an evolutionary step right they are just nature at its finest doing what nature does and i like the idea of the this kind of western hero right these quiet tough people that live this isolated do-it-yourself life um and when their the seams in their facades start to crack and you see their humanity come out and what they're willing to do in their bond to you know fight nature like they do every day um, I think there's a lot more going on beneath the surface than this movie gets credit. I think everyone is like, those vampires are scary. Danny Houston is fantastic. Ben Foster, you can't take your eyes off of him, right? The effects are marvelous. All of that right? is true. So I, yeah, and it's fucking gorgeous, right? The music. I think everyone gets stuck on the surface things, right? Yeah. It's so beautiful and opulent. And your the eyes style. can't get enough. But I think there's a lot more going on beneath the surface, right? Like, they're not going to waste an enormous amount of scenes where they're just going to monologue you, right? They do that a couple times. But I think there's a lot of those small moments for these actors to get a really big, relatable human moment, right? In the midst of something that's so wildly unrelatable as a vampire apocalypse. But yeah, yeah I just, I, I think it's just a fucking, it's, that's the thing. It, and the fun is never slowed down or sacrificed by that stuff too. So it's a, it's a really just, it's a high energy, just fucking interesting, fun movie. I really dig this one. It was a great choice, Carmelita. Thanks, Thanks. again for joining me today. <laughs> All right, guys, that's it for 30 Days of Night. Again, we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, go back and find all the horror movies we've covered. One every single day this month uh, of October. So many horror movies. We hope you guys are having fun listening along with us. Uh, yeah, please subscribe, rate, review wherever you find pods. Follow our YouTube channel, The Nerd Alchemist, on YouTube so you can see our faces and other fun stuff we're working on. You can email us, uh, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com, with ideas for movies you'd like to hear us discuss. Uh, or if you just think all of our opinions are wrong, just communicate with us. We like that. <laughs> and you can find us on any social media that you have where you can shout us out, share, communicate again. Uh, Thanks again to Carmelita for joining us. Uh, I'm sure we'll be seeing you again soon. Uh, Thanks, guys. For the film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. Have a good day. (laughs) Bye.